We have a special treat this morning. Um, so most of you guys know we spent the whole year teaching through the Bible. We did what was called a year of biblical literacy. And I, as I was coming into the end of it, uh, I was just like, okay, I, I got to finish this thing. You know, it's kind of like that, that last leg of the race and just like focusing on finishing. And I was like, man, the last thing I want to do is try to figure out what to teach on for Christmas. Um, most of you probably cannot relate to this. But as a pastor, like when you're like planning out your year and like what you're going to teach on everything, Christmas is like this like daunting task. Christmas and Easter, you're like, people are going to be there that aren't normally there. What am I going to say? You know, how do we like make this new and fresh? And you know what? Praise be to God. I did not have to do that this year because Mike Wilcox um, told me that he would love to teach. And I was like, great. How about teach the Sunday before Christmas? And he was like, I would love to do that. Hallelujah, amen, praise God, and it's going to be great. So Mike is going to share with us out of Luke 2, 25 through 38. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word. The context for this is Jesus being dedicated in the temple. So starting in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, when we were talking about, uh, I, I had said to Char a while back, I, I'm frequently saying this, you know, I would love to open up Scripture, God's Word, with my church family anytime. And Char's like, what about Christmas? And I was thinking, uh, oh yeah, because you're going to be gone, right? Uh, that's why you're asking. He said, no, I really just want to hear a Christmas sermon instead of preach it. Uh, you know, there's something about, about Christmas time. Were you, how observant were you of the kids up here? Um, I, had a, I had a nice seat right there in the center, and I could really see the goings-on up here. Some of you captured it on video for all time to embarrass your children on their wedding day uh, by showing what they were like when they were young. What sorts, of, what sorts of emotions and sensations and thoughts were going on up here with that group of kids? I mean, just think back to the, that moment, uh, those few minutes, a couple of songs when they stood up here. What were all the different sets of feelings going on up here? Uh, There was a good deal of smiling, right? 
there is a good deal of this. <laughs> you know, deer in the headlights, children in the spotlights. Uh, then did you see the little drum altercation going on in the middle here? <laughs> uh, I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I'm not sure whose kids that was. But that was really fun, wasn't it, you know? Here, get this off of me. You wear it. I ain't wearing it. And then the other one's like, ah, I've got two, and they're all caught up. And then the classic kid, hey, you know, when you're confronting someone else, hey, kid, back and forth. So a little bit of uh, discomfort and anger going on there, some tears. Some kids found their way back down off the stage to sit in the big people's chairs and cry. You know, but there's, there's something we see in those kids this morning that is uh, a reminder to me of what I've been thinking about for the last several weeks as I've looked into this passage of Scripture and considered how much and how wide and how varied the people who experienced that very first Christmas how broad and varied their own sensations and their thoughts and their taking in of that situation were. You know, and there's, there's something about God. God has chosen to show himself to us through stories. And I think there's a reason for that because he said, I think he invites us to read these stories, and then to imagine ourselves being those characters. So I'm going to invite you along with me, as I've been doing for the last several weeks, of imagining just what it was like to be this man, Simeon. And uh, we didn't have the whole reading up there, because when I first said, I think we'll stop with Simeon, but then I thought, oh, I can't leave Anna out either, and so Simeon, and then to imagine as well alongside of that what it was like to be Anna in those days. And through listening to the story that God has written for us and relating it to our own stories, I think we can experience Christmas this year in a very fresh and wonderful way with our eyes open. The first thing we hear about Simeon in this passage, as, as Joseph and Mary have brought Jesus along, brought him to the temple, brought him in to do what God's law asked of them after the birth of their child, and they come into the temple and we read this, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. And then when we read about Anna later on, it says that when she saw the child, she couldn't even stop talking about that child to all who were waiting. Christmas, Advent, the coming of Jesus, is all about waiting. Uh, if you are, um, well, I'll let you decide if you're an adult or a child at this stage, okay? Uh, but think about what it was like for you when you were younger than you are now. And think about that waiting period. I can remember growing up Christmas waiting. What were we waiting for as kids? Presents. Yeah. What'd they get me this year? I was a sneaky kid, okay? So I would crawl around in my parents' closet in their room when they weren't home 
because I had somehow discovered, being the criminal mind that I am, that that's where they stashed the presents, and maybe I could get an early look at those presents. And the house was laid out just right, because if you heard the front door open, you could just jet out of their room into the bathroom, and, and then you could just pretend you came out of the bathroom. You know? Sneaking around, wondering, waiting for the presents. I can remember waiting to go, you can ask me another time, my growing up story could be captured in the story of two, grand, two sets of grandparents, uh, especially two grandmothers. There was the evil grandmother and the good grandmother. Sounds like a fairy tale, but that was really how it was. Uh, and I can remember the waiting for Christmas to go to the good grandmother's house. And you would wait and wait, and finally you'd get into the car on Christmas Eve day, and you'd make that long drive from Upper Lake to Grass Valley through the mountain roads, and, and then you'd stop for my sister to get car sick uh, numerous times along the way. I was like, come on, Marilyn, just puke it up and let's go. <laughs> Waiting. But let's be honest, as grown-ups, some of our waiting today isn't quite as exciting as all that. The things that we're waiting for. So many of us, uh, we're waiting for things like the healing of somebody we love who's not been well. We're waiting for our work situation to change. We're waiting to even have a job. We're waiting for some pain or sickness in our own bodies to be taken care of. We're waiting for bad habits in our lives to be gone. We're waiting for our addictions to let go of us. We're waiting for somebody else in our lives that's been a real pain to change or just go away. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. Simeon, we read, has been waiting, and God has been talking to him, and Simeon has, uh, God has said to him, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see what I'm going to do. Now, what I love about this story, as with many Bible stories, is there's a vagueness to it. Okay? We don't know if God is saying to Simeon, Hey, Simeon, great news. You're still going to be alive when my son comes, when the one who is the hope and the consolation comes, you're still going to be alive. Isn't that great? So that might be the case. It might also be the case that perhaps Simeon is older, like Anna. Perhaps he's not well. Perhaps his body is aching and groaning. Maybe he's feeling really worn down and he's ready and he's saying Lord just take me and maybe God is saying to him it's just as possible that the Holy Spirit is saying to him Simeon I know you feel that your time has come but you're not going to die until I show you the hope that I'm sending your way we don't know, but that invites us to participate in the story. If the Bible is vague, it's because God meant it to be vague. Don't get all frantic about it. Put yourself in the story. What is it you're waiting for, and how long have you been waiting? How long had Anna been waiting? There was a prophet, a woman, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. <laughs> Did you catch that? She was very old. We don't even have any very old people in our church family. We got some old people, right? 
Okay, we've got some okay boomers here. Uh, right, she was very old. She had lived with her husband only seven years after they got married, and then she was a widow until she was 84. Uh, again, we it, it might, the Greek phrase there could be read, and then she was a widow for 84 more years. She's at least 84 years old. Potentially, she's at around 105. Either way you figure it, especially relative to most of us in this room, she's very old. (laughs) She had been married, but that had only lasted seven years. She's been in the temple day and night. What this tells us is she had no family. If she's hanging around the temple without family, that means that Anna is on Medicare and Medi-Cal. She does not have resources of her own. This is not the little old widow in a big house with a great inheritance. She never left there. She's been there day and night up to that very moment. Waiting. Waiting. But, you know, we, upon meeting Anna and Simeon here, I realize again, (laughs) I've had this revelation before, but I need to have it again, and I wonder if you need to have it again. When we're waiting, we get in a hurry. We haven't advanced much (laughs) from the three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds that stood up here. We want it now. And I read this and I look at it and I think, oh my goodness, sometimes, sometimes God asks us to wait for 60 years, for 80 years. God does not say, I will care for you and I will respond to you within three business days. You know, I mean, I I can order my, this is great, I can Christmas shop without leaving the comfort of my own home. I've just discovered this. I know some of you knew this before. Yeah. I'm notorious for going out Christmas Eve night, you know, five minutes before we're opening the gifts. I'm still buying gifts, okay? I can beat that now. I can order them on Amazon, and I can have them in how long with prime delivery? Okay, I can get them in one day if I want. I can get them in two days guaranteed, sort of. Okay. You see... Even when, even if, when we used to order things out of catalogs, some of you remember this, you had to allow four to six weeks for delivery. Now, we would be outraged if we had to wait four to six weeks. But there's something in my heart that, yes, things get difficult, but then I turn that difficulty into pressuring God. You need to come through sooner. It's been how long, God? Guaranteed. These people knew how to wait. And listen to this, the waiting, as we find out here in these stories, was worth it. Simeon, he's been, he's been hanging around Jerusalem. He's been hanging around the temple. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit had come upon him and had communicated with him and had told him, keep on waiting. And then one day, 
as he was operating in this realm of God's Holy Spirit, he was prompted to go into the temple courts and Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Jesus what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. I want you to look at this. I don't, I don't have any grandchildren of my own at this point. Sorry for my kids that are here. I'm not prompting anything. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making any passive-aggressive uh, things from the pulpit. <laughs> that would not be appropriate. No, okay? But sometimes you see a little baby... And you just want to take them in your arms. Okay? And if you can imagine, okay, here's Boomer Simeon, and the family comes in with this little baby, probably just over a week old, and Simeon sees the baby and wraps him up in his arms. Do you think in that moment... Simeon experienced that the years and decades of waiting had been worth it? Was there something that transpired in that instant that put a new light on everything as he wrapped and held that baby? You know, this is where, if you read Luke 2, uh, you might think, you know, you're reading the script to a Disney movie. Because the characters are going along, the storyline continues, and all of a sudden people start singing. Okay? Simeon can't help himself in that moment, and he breaks out in song as he holds this baby and the waiting has been worth it. And he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, this is your promise, just the way you promised it. And now I can be excused and dismissed in a peaceful way because my eyes have seen this child. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, and have seen the light of revelation to the Gentiles, even to the non-Jewish people, and the glory of your people Israel. Kind of picture Simeon as sort of solid and dignified in this, and he holds the baby, but then that dignity or that sense of, you know, I got to look good in front of everybody. I'm the old man, just kind of drops away, and he just lets it all out in this song. Meanwhile, Anna is coming up, and she's been waiting probably even longer than Simeon. Day and night, she's been waiting. She's been there in the temple. And you could just see Anna just active. You know, I, I, when I think of Anna, I think of this, you know, sort of little white-haired fireball of a woman. And I get out of my way. Jesus is here. Clear the way. You need to hear about this. It says she was going around to everyone she could find and talking to them. And if they were at all interested in what God was going to do to rescue his people out of their prison, <laughs> she was going to talk to them about it. You know, she's the person that was just talking and people are like, um, I got to meet somebody for lunch. And she's like, yeah, but you got to hear more. If we learn to wait... For God, 
we will find. I believe I can promise you on God's promise, not my own. If we learn and we wait for God, then what we see when God does his work, we will discover that it was well worth the wait. Or as Paul has told us in his letter, the sufferings, the struggle, the waiting of this age cannot even be compared to what is to come. One of the problems I have is I'm often not really tuned in when I'm waiting for something, I'm not really tuned in to what it actually is that I'm waiting for. How about you? I think I know what I want. I've got, you know, a pretty clear outline in my hand, in my hand, in my head, uh, sometimes in my hand. I write it out on a on my legal pad and try to figure it out. I have an idea but I haven't taken the time to look within myself and to invite God to look within me and to say, Mike, what is it that you're really waiting for? What's at the bottom of this? What is underneath the thing that you're waiting for? You know, so often I'm waiting for things like situations to change. I tell you what I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get my California clinical counselor's license because I already had a license when I lived in Florida and you know we're coming up on a year and a half and it's like this is taking forever to jump through the bureaucratic hoops, you know. I want this to change. Okay. We think we know what we want. We're waiting for situations to change. We're waiting for other people to change. We're waiting for life to get better. We're waiting to feel happier about life or to feel less anxious about life. These are the things that on the surface we find ourselves waiting for. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying these things aren't worth waiting for. I'm not saying it's illegitimate to experience this. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm simply inviting that we look underneath the tip of the iceberg and see if there's more. More to this waiting. More to this wanting. More to this longing. I also would be untrue to my expertise such as it is uh, to what I know about the scriptures and to what I know about people's mental health if I were to say I'm not at this point addressing things like clinical depression and clinical anxiety where the brain and its neurotransmitters are not working fully up to par and we experience depression. I please hear me because it's important. I know what it was like to sit and hear somebody preach if I was ex- when I was experiencing my own clinical depression and to hear these words, you know, you've got you've to gotta think about this and you've got to wait differently and far from being strengthened by the word of God, I was ripped to shreds and hated myself even more. Okay. If you can honestly say, I can't look beyond this depression, I can't look beyond this anxiety, then let's work together and get some help for that. Okay. I'm not talking about clinical situations here. But I am talking about that waiting of everyday life and discovering what it is that we're really waiting for. And I believe that Simeon and Anna, their stories here give us the beginnings of some clarity with that. 
In verse 25, we read, and I'll reiterated again there was a man in jerusalem called simeon he was righteous and devout he was waiting for the consolation of israel anna we find was having her conversation she couldn't stop speaking about this child verse 38 to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna give us a clue to look deeper underneath the waitings we have for situations and people and life and my feelings about life. We are looking not ultimately for situations to change i believe and you can check along with god and think within yourself and see if this holds true for you ultimately i believe we are not waiting for change we are or for situations or for different circumstances we are waiting for a person. And we are waiting, as these two people were, for the person, first of all, the person Simeon was waiting for, the consolation. That is, he was looking for the person who could comfort. Now, if you had, if you had a, a good mother, and if you didn't, uh, just imagine this with me. If you're a mother and your kids are here, you can check with them later how you're doing, okay? But, but if you had a good mother, and you were a child, and you were in distress, and you were waiting, and you were uncomfortable, and you were tearful, and maybe even angry, because that's what distress does to us, and you were expressing that, or maybe you had fallen down and you had hurt yourself. And in those cases, what does the good mother do? Okay, picture it. It's okay to say something. You know, we're not, this is not the Presbyterian church that I'm, you know, we're not too formal here. Uh, I miss that in certain ways, but yeah. Um, will you give a hug, comfort, pick you up, take you to herself? You see, when a child is hurting, does a mother come along and go, Oh, dear child, you're suffering. Poof. Life is all better, and they lived happily ever after. Right? But the closeness that comes from even a halfway decent mother and her child is the closeness that comes not from merely magically clarifying and fixing the situation. The closeness comes because the mother comes into the child's place of waiting and picks her up, picks him up, holds them, rocks them, comforts them, says loving words to them. Simeon is waiting for the person who comes and consoles us. Anna is talking to people who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna and the people she's connected with are waiting for the person who can pay the price to get us out of our prison. And when you find those waitings and those longings 
especially at this time of year. Oh my, as a counselor and the other counselors in the room can attest to this, you know, oh, Christmas, it's a season of joy. And most of the people who are coming to see us this time of year are not really there to express their joy. Many of them are seeing us this time of year to express their despair, their hopelessness, their dread of what is to come. When I feel the longings and I observe that I'm waiting, oh, that God would let me look underneath that to see that I'm, what I'm really waiting for is not this or that person to change, this or that situation to get better, this or that emotion to feel more happy in my life, what I'm really longing for is Jesus. The only one who can come and comfort and console me, the only one who can pay the price to get me out of my prison. How many of you did, uh, I know Char asked last week, but I'm going to ask again because I was not standing up here. How many made it all the way through Yobel? Non-stop, didn't break the pattern. And Char had to because he had to set a good example for us. So. How many of you did pretty well? You, you kept catching up? You kept plugging away? Yeah. How many of you at least read a few verses this year out of the Bible? <laughs> okay. All right, we've been looking. We started in the... We started in the Old Testament, uh, we went into the New, uh, but just listen to a few words from the prophet Isaiah in, in uh, what, chapter 61, if I can turn the pages here. Or maybe not. Those of you who are flipping through your devices, you found it a long time ago. Um, just listen to this poem from the prophet Isaiah, who God is using and putting these thoughts and ideas in his heart to capture in poetry. And although it's Isaiah that's writing them down, we know as the story unfolds that it's Jesus who's truly saying these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Isaiah says, speaking for Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of judgment of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Waiting for the person, Jesus, who brings these things to us. Now, lest we idealize simply the human characters in this and we say okay God Mike said so I'm going to give it a shot I want to be like Simeon I want to be like Anna that's going to next, next week we can think about New Year's resolutions I'm going to that's what I'm going to do I'm going to be like them this year they didn't even themselves have the whole picture 
Simeon is thinking of the consolation or the comfort of Israel. Anna is talking to all her friends about the redemption of <laughs> the pastor's kid knows, okay. <laughs> Jerusalem. Okay. Even for all of their waiting and all that they can show us, they had a narrow point of view. And they were limited by their culture. They were limited by their history. They were limited by their time to see Jesus in a very narrow way. And maybe, once again, you can see a little bit of yourself in the story. How many times have we said, God comfort me, and we've done it primarily thinking about ourselves or just someone very close to us that we already love. How many have honestly prayed things like, uh, God, that person at my work that I cannot stand, and if they got fired tomorrow, it would be the best day of my life. Uh, but... I know they're really suffering, God. I really, truly, deeply, honestly in my heart wish you would help them. Maybe, occasionally. But most often, we're thinking of ourselves. We're thinking of someone close to us. And, and can I say, just as we're, as we're making our way through this story, that... I'm afraid that my view of what Jesus is up to is just way too small. And I'm concerned for each and every one of us here that maybe your view of what Jesus is up to is just too small. Because even in the story, or as we read the story right here, we find out that, that God's work, uh, what Jesus is up to, is not small and national and limited to a smallish city in the Middle East. Is not limited to particular sets of families is not limited to certain ethnicities or in-groups. But God's work is much bigger. Simeon, at least in his song, as God guides him, says, I've seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. And a light for revelation to the Gentiles to the people who are not Jews and the glory of your people Israel. We can see Simeon exploring some of this. One of my invitations for myself and for us at this particular Christmas season, as we're thinking about, once again, the Advent the first time Jesus appeared on the scene, this story in front of us, the time that we're waiting for when we know Jesus will come back on the scene, the second advent, we're thinking about this. Let us grow in our perspective so that we see it more globally as God sees it. Uh, let me just get you thinking on this. Uh, did you know that there are still 3,969, so we're right on the edge of 4,000, world languages that have exactly zero portions of Scripture in their own language? You, we have just spent the year with the opportunity to read through this entire book. Nearly 4,000 languages 
in this group don't even have one portion of Scripture in their own language. And yet, this is a message that God has prepared in the sight of all nations. So some people are still waiting. I can't pretend to know what you should do about that. But at least be aware of it. I could give you some ideas if you wanted to ask, but... Are you aware that of uh, 7,353 languages in the world, only 698 have the full Bible in their language? Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty scarce. Be aware. Don't think small. Get this picture that God is about more than comforting you and buying you out of your prison. God has in mind this larger picture, and maybe he invites some participation of ours in that. Last thing I'd like to share with you this morning Uh, We are, like Simeon, like Anna, like many around us, we're waiting. Um, We often don't know what it is that we're deeply, really, under the surface waiting for. And I would like to suggest, finally, that... um, Sometimes we don't know how to wait well. Um, now, how many, how many of you would sign up for a weekend seminar on how to wait well? Or would you rather sign up for a seminar, how to not worry about waiting anymore, how to have everything in your life happy? I bet we'd sell the second one out before the first, okay? How to wait well, though. Notice that Simeon, and and we've read through it now at least three times, but I'm going to read it again in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was, while he was waiting, righteous and devout. Let's think about those two things for a moment. Righteous and devout. Righteousness, we know, good churchy word, okay, Um, might also be used to to find someone you admire, you know, they're really righteous, Uh, but that idea of being right, that idea of being without blame, that idea of, of having the law books opened, And the judge looks down and he says, no, I find no offense here. Everything has been kept to a T. How many can can claim to have done that? I have never violated any rule. I've never violated any rule of my own. Well, I've never violated any rule of my family uh, of origin that I grew up well I've never violated any rule of the the state of California uh, except the speed limit I've never even entertained a thought of in my mind of keeping a few dollars back from the Internal Revenue Service. I've never, in fact, <laughs> God's law, right on, everything. Check, check, okay. Obviously not possible, but we, we've wrapped up our year of knowing the Bible in the book of Romans where we have heard in Romans chapter 3 that now we realize that a rightness 
that is from God, a righteousness that is from God has been made known to us and given to us through trust. When we trust what God was up to with Jesus here, we are, like Simeon, it can be said of us that we are righteous. We are right. We are without fault before God the Holy Judge and God our Father. Because the righteousness has been given to us from him. It's his to give to us. It's his to grant to us when we trust him. Simeon was righteous for that the same reason we are. But the second thing it says of Simeon is he was devout. Now, I don't know. When was the last time you used the word devout in everyday talk? Anybody use it this past week? Except this morning when we read the text. Uh, two weeks, a month? I mean, what, what devout, you know. I don't know. I picture guys in robes and hoods and maybe, you know, incense and their heads are stuck in in a scroll all the time. Maybe that's devout. Or or maybe devout is the people that that work back here in the corner and pray for us. Maybe they're the devout ones. Or the devout ones are are people like our pastors who teach us and shepherd us and guide us and and bring the scriptures to us. Okay, it all sounds so far away from my own life. But but as I as I spent the time with this passage and I read it in my Greek New Testament and I, I sought to understand it, it comes down to this. Uh, devout isn't some holy thing that happens in some kind of religious context. What's being described here about Simeon was as once he had this rightness that came from God and was given to him because he believed God and he believed the story that was God was writing for the world. Simeon, it says, was devout. That is, he took what God gave and he received it well. God was holding that out, and Simeon said, yes, I'll have that. Another way of putting it is, God gave him that, and literally, the phrases that are used here, means that Simeon took what God gave, and he walked all the way around it, and he looked at it, and he considered it carefully, and he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live with it. You know, for Simeon, it was the, whoa, this is good stuff. I'm going to live with it. It was a year of living dangerously. It was a year of living biblically. It was a year of living with all these great things that God was showing him and taking it. How do we wait well? We wait well when we live trusting God's rightness that he has given to us and when we examine it well and we say yes I'm going to live with this yes this is worth holding on to and when I do that I can look at my circumstances and I can say wow things kind of suck right now I can see honestly the big picture. And I can say, I don't like that. I don't care for that. I don't feel good about that. And while I'm not feeling good about it, I know there is something bigger and someone bigger and greater and more important than myself going on here. 
And I can actually say, and I'm going to choose to live with that bigger and greater and bigger uh, and more important that's going on here. I'm going to act consistent with it in ways that bring me ever closer to this greater and more important one. We wait. Will you, with me, coming into this Christmas season as Wednesday approaches, as Wednesday passes and life moves on, will you move with me into the waiting? Are you willing to discover together what it is we're really waiting for? Are we willing to wrestle with and help each other with waiting well? Who, who needs help with that? I'm, I'm right here, okay? I'm not here as the expert helper. I need your help too if I'm going to live well with this. But you know what? As we wait, we will find that God's outcome will boggle our minds. God is ready. God is working. God is moving forward on his timeline to blow your mind and to bring into reality things that we have only imagined and to bring into reality things that we had given up hoping for and to bring into reality things that are as he taught us beyond what you could ask or think and I think I'm ready to have my mind blown by God in this coming year. And I look forward to us taking that journey together as we've come out of hearing his story and we move into more living with his story. Well, that whole thing kind of comes together here at this table. And as we continue to worship and we continue to use music, right? We're in the middle of this Disney musical, okay? Things are good. We're going to break out here in song. And as we continue to do that, and this is the focus because that baby that Simeon held and sang about... That child that Anna could not stop talking about. In the moment, God even hinted to Mary, his mother. You know, there's also going to become a time when this is going to be so piercing, so painful, it's going to be like a sword running through your heart. And on that night, when Jesus sat down with his followers and he said... Hey, here we are at this table. And tonight, I'll tell you how bad it is. One of you who's eating with me is going to betray me. Take some silver coins to turn me over to the enemy. All of you are going to run away. Uh, None of you are going to have a rightness of your own. And I don't want you to worry about that because I want you to take this bread. This is my body, broken for you. I want you to take this cup of wine and drink from it. We're all going to drink it together because this is the blood of the new promise I'm making for you. And when you do it, I want you to remember me and I want you to talk about me until I come. And each and every one of you, as you walk up here, you take 
take the bread, the cracker. Even if you take the uh, gluten-free, it's still okay. okay. And you take that in your hands. You're saying to everyone else here, I'm waiting just like you are. I'm waiting for Jesus to come. And, and can we wait together? And then they'll come up here and they'll get it. Maybe you take it and you take it back to them. Come as you're ready. Break into song. And let's remember Jesus and talk about him until he comes.